And now for the thousands in attendance and the millions of people that wish they were sitting in front of my bar at the moment, welcome to the third episode of At The Bar with Yo Adrian, where I explore the lives and times of some really interesting people. And one of those interesting people happens to be sitting in front of my bar at the moment. And so good morning to Ray Nanai. How are you, Ray? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again, mate, after so many years. Now, I've poured a drink for you. It was one of the drinks that you actually requested prior to this podcast, and it's an Amaro uh, Montenegro, I think is the brand, with a, with a touch of ginger ale, and there's a bit of lime in there. Try that out, mate. Cheers first. Mmm. Geez, that's a refreshing drink. Wow. Anyway, I think I, I remember I met you back in 2010. I was doing the rounds at the time, when I say the rounds in the security sense, checking up on the venues because at the time I myself was working at, at, uh, with TJS and my partner in crime at the time was Carly Meehan. He was the former uh, Australian heavyweight champion who actually fought for a world title against Lehman Brewster back in the early 2000s and unfortunately he was robbed in that fight. Uh, Don King made sure of that, he, but he should have been the first Australian to win the heavyweight world title in vegas and um yeah we were doing our rounds me and him one of the venues that we had that was subcontracted out we subcontracted it out was uh the Collaroy hotel and i remember first meeting you and what struck me about you straight away was the fact that you were you were so calm under pressure you're good at multitasking which is can be very difficult in security i mean i've been in the industry myself for over 20 years and i never saw a bloke that was so calm under pressure even though it wasn't one of those rough joints but there was still a lot of people in there and you were working one out at the time. Yeah, I just, that's, that's how I remember you. And I thought, this guy's bloody, he's so calm. And I remember Carly saying, he said, hey, bro, he says, this guy knows what he's doing. So my next question to you is, what do you believe are the five golden rules you've got to, you've got to have as a security doorman? Uh, there's a quote that I like to say. It's from J.K. Rowling. So it's... Um we're only as strong as we are united and as weak as we are divided. And that covers any teamwork environment, including the security industry, because you're working together, you've got to respect each other, you've got to trust each other, you know? So that, those are very important because you're relying on each other to get through the, through the night. But um, yeah, there's also mental resilience because there's a lot of stress involved in the job. So you just got to make sure that your head's screwed on and you're focused on the job because can get quite uh, hairy at times. There's uh, composure. You need to be very composed. Yeah, it's it's easier said than done, but it uh, it helps you when you're in a stressful. Well, that's one thing that I noticed you had. You you had a lot of composure. Yeah, you really need it because uh, if you don't have that composure, you're going to break. Yeah. And it's going to be a long night. And uh, probably the last thing is, for me personally, just um, physicality. You need it. You know, you you can't go on the door underdone physically because there's going to be times where you're going to have to throw down and you need to you so need you always keep yourself fit how many times a week were you training at that time just coming a little yeah, bit closer. i was um training maybe uh four or five nights a week mm. yeah so because i was working king's cross and Oxford street you had to stay in shape but if i was working on the northern beaches it's a different clientele yeah so you had to be in peak physical condition because you're crossing paths with all different types of people and you just had to be ready I, I i remember at that place there was you didn't you didn't you only got you basically got you got a lot of anglo-saxons a lot of there was a lot of surfy type of guys there but they were they were goers but 
Like they were, there was there was a lot of cheeky guys there that you know that you think you think oh you know I reckon I can handle this person but yeah they fired up pretty quickly and and they, and they were ballsy sort of people on those northern beaches. Yeah, just a different clientele. Like I mentioned before, I was used to I was used to working across in Oxford Street and like the, the baddest of the baddest, you know. And then when you yeah. go to the beaches, it's it's, it's, it's relaxed. It's just all words. Yeah, but yeah, you just. It was different. I remember one of my golden rules was, uh, and I, I used there was a couple of tech, uh, techniques that I used to use if 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 I was a little bit worried a situation was going to get blo- uh, blown out of proportion, especially if there's a, a giant there and he was getting a bit hostile. I'd always make out that there was the um, <clears throat> undercover coppers there, and then they'd say, "Where's the undercover cop?" Or if it was a yeah, Lebanese bloke, there go, "Where's the undercover cop, bro?" Yeah. And all this sort of stuff. Where is he? I'm not, I'm not worried about him. I said, mate, the guy works for Raptor or, you know. And um, I said, so just come on. I play good cop, bad cop. And the other thing I'd do is, um, and that, that, that would shut him up straight away. The other one I would use is, uh, yeah, you, you're trying not to embarrass a guy in front of his lady. That always got blokes, you know, fired up. If you if you told them to leave and their girlfriend was around because you know it's like it becomes an ego thing they don't want to look bad in front of their the girl that they're with so yeah that, that were two things that I always I was very mindful of when I was working on doors so yeah you you worked at a few places the cross and and you worked in Oxford Street there's a couple of rough places there even though it was supposed to be you know they've people think oh I mean because there's a lot of gay bars in Oxford Street that you know, you you wouldn't get any tough guys walking those streets. But I remember DCMs. There was, I remember some big brawls outside DCMs and the Q Bar and some yeah. of those places. So, saying that, what what's what would be one of the places that you worked at when you thought to yourself, "Fuck this! What have I done to myself working in this fucking hole?" You know, like there has to be a place where you work there and you think to yourself, you know. How do I know I'm going to get home tonight? Yeah, well, there, there was one place, I'm, I'm not going to mention where, but it was around the mid-2000s. Yeah. I was on the front door and I think seven or eight guys rocked up and um, I refused them on the door. But then the owner came out and said, you know, I don't want any drama, just let them inside, let it slide. Yeah. And these guys are pretty heavy guys, you know. So they're in there and um, at the time I was working with a bunch of guys and they weren't really enforcers you know like they weren't intimidating guys like the guys i had on the front door they're just shirt fillers yeah like the, the guys that you'd see working in yeah. front of banks yeah so yeah. i was it was all on me yeah so i'm on the front door i'm kind of burning and I, i'm saying i can either just let them in let it slide or i can go in there and yeah and um say something so i took it upon myself i went inside approached you guys at the bar they had a few drinks i said listen guys you gotta leave and as I said that, they've all turned around and they've all reached, mm. you know. They weren't reaching for butterflies, I know that much. And as they reached, one guy reached for his phone and he answered it. And I was so lucky. The guy said, we all got to go. One of the boys got into a punch-up on the main road, so they all left. Yeah. Did what they had to do, then I've waited out the front for them and I told the boys, go inside. This is my thing, you know. Yeah. Because I was working with guys that had families and stuff. I was single. I didn't have any kids. I just had a different mindset. I was just wired differently. Yeah, you know? so back then it was, it was like you got nothing to, like, you didn't have nothing to lose back then. Yeah, it's yeah. different when you got kids. You got nothing to, you know, you got more to lose. So I'm out the front of this club. 
waiting for them to come back. And then it's on again. And I'm there by myself. And then a few words were said. And I was lucky again. One of the boys was walking across the road. Yeah. You know, with a good friend of his. And he come over. Like, he's no longer with us today. He's a good mate of mine. And he's come over and, you know, said he's one of the boys. You know, good bloke. Let it go. And then, um, yeah, man, I... Yeah, I... Part of me, I, I felt like I was maybe chewed off more than I could. It's probably the only time I doubted myself on, on the front door because these guys are heavy. And yeah. um, I was at the point of no return. I was like, man, I can't turn back now. I'm, I'm already committed. Did I've you, got to follow did you have a backup plan like, geez, if this gets out of hand, I can ring the local police and get them down here? No, no, it was just all on me. So whatever happened to me, you know, if I got pumped or whatever, it was on me because I didn't have to go in there. We could have just let them stay in the bar and have a good night. Yeah. So luckily... The guy reached for his phone. Luckily, the guys across the road come over, you know, and they sort it out. And, um, yeah, it was done and dusted, but that was pretty hairy. I don't think I was going to make it home that night. But, you know, when you, when you if you're working at the cross, for instance, I know that a lot of the security guys, they all worked in together. So if there was a problem at one place and you're outnumbered, the other security guys would leave their doors to come and help you. Did you, did you find that when you were working at the cross? Yeah, because yeah, we're all... Well, the boys, we all worked on uh, different doors, but we're all in the same boat, so we all had to help each other out, you know? So, um, But that one night, it was on me. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I don't want to get other people involved. Like, I just went and did it on my own, but I was just lucky. So prior to that, when you before you come to Sydney, you were working at some rough places over in New Zealand, weren't you? Yeah, so I did my first door when I was 20 years old. I was working at this, uh, this club on K Road. It's in the Auckland CBD, and... It was just full of rugby and rugby league players, like big guys, you know, like big guys dressed up in ballerina tutu dresses, you know, like in frocks yeah. and, and platforms, like big guys like Jason Tomalolo, like times 300 in the club. Fuck. And I was only a small bloke. I was only like 88 kilogram, 20 years old. And I, I just was praying, please, I hope the fight doesn't break out because I, I'll just get folded in half, you know? Yeah. Because these guys are just monsters. Yeah, I was lucky. Jeez. That's like, remember that there was a, a bar in uh, that movie, Once Were Warriors? Was it, was it like that? Uh, you, you remember the bar I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, of course, yeah. That, that's uh, in Otara, that's in South Auckland. So that's around the corner from where I, I grew up. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, but no, nah, these guys are huge. Like, they were just giants. And uh, I, I, I just couldn't believe it. I just remember one guy had a big chest, big shoulders, big arms. And I was thinking, if I got to throw this guy out, he's, he's just going to feed me, you know? Yeah. I, was, I was scared. So what, what, what was more challenging, working on the doors in Auckland or working on the doors here in Sydney? Oh, here in Sydney, because uh, back home, it was just hand-to-hand. Um, -hand. But here you're dealing with, you know, guns, <laughs> Come back and bikes. Shoot you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned the thing about um, you got nothing, when you've got nothing to lose, you don't really care because if worse comes to worse and someone pulls a knife out and stabs you or will shoot you like that, you go, okay, all right, well, it's, it's, that's my problem. But, you know, if you've got kids, then you don't get to see your kids. Or if you fight back at these blokes, you can end up in jail, you know, and then and you don't get to see your kids. So it, it does make you rethink things when you when you have children. I It's funny, when, when I working on doors, as my kids got a little bit older, I, I didn't want to work. I just lost the passion for it because I just felt like I had too much to lose, you know. Mm. And it doesn't help being only five foot ten. I mean, you're, you're. How tall are you? You'd be barely. 
Six one. Well, you're, you're you're quite big, but there's bigger blokes out there. Yeah. You're sort of very stocky sort of guy, but yeah, but um, it it is it is difficult when you when, when you're a young when, when you're actually you're not that tall and you don't weigh that much. You've got to get in first, and we we're talking about it earlier where you've got to strike first, and if you do strike first, you're the one that gets charged. Yeah, right? right, so fight or flight. So either way, you can't win, you know, because when the cops come down, they go, all right, you punch this bloke in the head. Yeah, but he was going to punch me first. Yeah, but I'm only five foot ten. I had no choice. So you're scared because you're only a small bloke and you thought, I've got to hit this bloke first and then and then um, hopefully his mates see that and they're not going to want to fuck with you. But, but the problem is you end up getting charged and, you know, and then you, you lose your licence. I went through a lot of that shit myself at one time. You know, I... I myself, I had a, um, you know, a rap, a rap sheet when it come to assault as, as long as fucking encyclopedia. But thankfully for me, I never got convicted because it was always, um, I was defending myself. And uh, I wish back then there was jujitsu, you know, where you can uh, prevent someone from um, wanting to attack you and then you don't hit them and you can just, you know, make them submit to you. Did you learn any of that jujitsu or anything like that? Yeah, I did probably um, 16 years ago. I took up jiu-jitsu with the boys. We were training at um, Boxing Works in the city, Castlereagh Street, and um, we were training like three, maybe three, four nights a week. But um, when I went back to the door, all the techniques that I'd learned, you know, mm. from jiu-jitsu, it just didn't register with me. I just went back to what I, I knew, and that's just using my hands. And by then it was too late, you know, yeah, just yeah. What wasn't wasn't me jujitsu. Yeah, because your first reaction is if someone's in your face, you've got to take them out as quick as you can, and make an impact. But were you lucky? You never you never got you never you never fell foul of the law or anything like that when you're working on doors. You never lost your license. No, no. I was, I, I, I did a criminal check um, here and back home in New Zealand. I come back as clean as a whistle. You know, wow. very lucky. All the places you worked at? Yeah, I worked at 34 venues in Sydney. That's incredible. Mate, <laughs> I said you're professional. You're certainly professional. But, but I think I, I did a better impression, you know, being a punching bag than anything else because I, I copped a few. Yeah. yeah, but still, that's that's incredible to work on that many doors over that that long period and yeah. never never got a... I was lucky. N- not, not even charged? Nothing. Far out. That's un- I didn't know that. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Anyway, that's, I can't believe it. Now, what are what are some of the really good perks you get when you're working on a door that people wouldn't know about? Right. So the average person that works, say, in the building industry or works in an office, they look at bouncers and they go, "Oh, this guy, who's this tosser here standing on the door with his suit and all that, and he's allowing some people in, he's knocking back some people." And um, you know they look at they look at us like oh you know it's power trippers and really they don't realise how hard the bloody job is and uh, so what 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 would you think like what, what do you what what do you, what do you reckon are some of the good perks in that in the industry that you in, that you missed? Well, the biggest perk that I got was I met my wife through doing the doors, so I, I was very blessed. You know, I yeah. um, my wife used to come every weekend, and back then we had a love hate relationship and. I remember one time clearly I was working at Tank Nightclub. This around 2000 when the place was pumping, you know, and she'd walk down the laneway with her with her girlfriends. What what year was that? 2000. 2000. Ah, oh, 2000. Yeah. Okay. And that, that the tank was on the 
bottom of I think establishment. It was, a... it was around the back. Okay. Yeah, I know the one. Yeah. Yeah. So she came up with the girlfriends, and um, it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. And the girls come, you know, they're walking down the laneway, and everyone just parted, you know. And the girls come to the front door, and security moved out of the way. The host moved out of the way. Then I was on the front door because I had the final say, and I pulled the handbrake and I rejected her. I said, "Go somewhere else," and she just abused me, you know. Really? Yeah. Just like that. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that, that that's the biggest perk. But other than that, um, you got your obvious ones like a lot of cash, you know, all the cash bribes, all the boys come, you know, want to get in. Yeah. So they'll just be feeding you hundreds, you know, hundreds. Go in the corner, just yeah, just money. Um, people offer you a lot of like cocaine, but yeah, I never touched it, and I said, oh, just yeah. give me the money instead. So they give me like two hundred, you know, three hundred bucks. You know, entry to get in, or you get like a lot of the industry, a lot of people that have restaurants and cafes give you their cards. If you look mm. after us, come, you know, eat for free, you know. So it was really good. But you, you would have been an honest bloke. You wouldn't have taken any extra cash on the door, would you? Like I know, I was working with my brother at one time, and he, he was. I, I was a real straight guy. I, I couldn't take any money, you know, that that wasn't my money. And my brother's, he's hanging there. He's a little bit more streetwise than me, and and people would come in. And if he didn't like the look of someone, he'd say, oh, there's a $20 cover charge, yeah. you know? And, and I couldn't get myself to do it. So he's putting all this money in his, his uh, pocket. And then at the end of the night, he'd pull all this cash out. And I go, fuck, you got $300, $400 on top of... And I said, oh, i got shit. And he goes, well, you're fucking stupid enough. You're not asking for the money. I said, well, then split it with me now. Yeah. So when he eventually got caught um, by the, the... There was a DJ, and it was a DJ's girlfriend. Because... I think he, he charged her money to get in, or her, sorry, a friend, a friend of hers, and he complained, and he and uh, then she went up to the boss and she said, oh, those two doormen, you know, they're charging people twenty dollars to get in, and there's, it's a free entry. So the guy come up to us, the owner, he said, you two guys robbing the door, and then he just told us both to fuck off, and that was it, and. Uh, and I said to, I said to Grant, see, you greedy fucker. I said, now we've lost the job because you've been greedy. But yeah, that was, he was making a lot of, a lot of money back then, just on $400 or something, clear. Yeah. You know, no one knew about it back then. So yeah, there's that was good perks, eh? Well, I went one better. So what I used to do was on a Saturday lunchtime, mm. I used to go to Pitt Street Mall because all the guys that worked in retail would come to the club. So I'd go there at lunchtime, collect money, like $1,000. And then on the night, we wouldn't be changing hands, you know? Yeah. They'd just go straight in. The boys would be like, who are they? Like, you're not getting money off them. But they didn't know that I collected money off them nine hours prior, you know, to opening the doors. So I was already cashed up, you know, and they just walked straight in. That was good. Yeah. And it's, it's all cash in the hand too. Cash, yeah. <laughs> what, what were you doing with the money? Were you spending it on clothes? or yeah, You wouldn't I, have been able to bank it, would you? No, nah, no. Nah, I was just living day to day back then. I was single. Back then, yeah. Anyway, like like a lot of... Like a lot of guys like yourself that worked on doors, I mean, you you still look good for your age now, but one thing that um, you had that a lot of other uh, security guys don't have, you're, very, you're a charismatic sort of bloke too. You're, um, you're a good talker. You could, I remember when I first met you, I thought, this bloke's, you know, you could, you could talk down the most aggressive people. And then the natural progression, the really good security uh, bouncers become bodyguards because they get employed as bodyguards. Now, tell the audience out there. Tell us about some of the your bodyguard experiences or some celebrities that you you worked for. Well, the last person I looked after was um, former Prime Minister of Australia, Bob Hawke. 
He's yeah. a real gentleman. You know, they say he's American and he really is. He was just a really genuine, warm-hearted guy. And I used to go to his house and um, he's staying in Northbridge and just go there. His, like, his house was my house. I'd go in there, open the front door, wow. have breakfast with him, watch a bit of TV. And um, yeah, just a, a normal guy. I didn't have to be someone else. He's just a, a good bloke, you know. And he used to always complain when we used to drive in the car. And I always play my rap music, and he'd be like, "Oh, I'll turn that off, you know, you're hurting my ears." And I used to turn it up even more, you know, just to just yeah. to upset him, you know. But he's just a just a really nice guy, you know, good bloke. But um, I, I looked after after some other people before him, and um, did you have to do any special courses for for the bodyguarding and all? No, that? I, I I kind of um, I kind of just the guys that were coming to the clubs that I was working at. They, they took a liking to me because I, I was a good person, you know, and they, they said, oh, do you want to do any work on the side or do you want to just quit the doors and do some bodyguarding? Mm. And that's how I fell into it. But um, I, I looked after other guys where, um, remember this one guy, his family, they're from Point Piper, like they, they're, they're seriously cashed up, nice people. And um, the, the parents, they had a son who was my age and he had like every addiction under the sun you can think of, you know, alcohol, mm. drugs, gambling, all that stuff. So they said, please, can you just look after my son? And I said, yeah, no worries. So we worked out a contract. It was a handshake agreement. And then uh, they gave me a car. Like I was driving like a Range Rover, petrol card, pay for everything, you know. So you were basically hired to keep him on the straight yeah. narrow. So I had to like pick him up, him like a counselor take him to work, yeah. hang out with him. I had my own office in the suite, you know. I was just yeah. babysitting him pretty much but getting paid really well for it. Yeah, mm. It was really good. I, I remember I worked for a uh, former Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull. He's not too popular these days, poor old Malcolm. He wrote a, he's written a book and no one fucking bought the book. But he was he was he was very nice to me. He lived he lived right on the water Elizabeth Bay at the time and um I uh, yeah, I was I was a big fan of him at that time until he got into politics and he was you know, I think he was a shit house prime minister. But yeah, he was he was really nice to me. And I remember working with a mate of mine, Serbian mate, Bobby Marakic. And we met John Travolta when I was at the Stanford. So one of like he was a big Hollywood uh, movie star. Did you ever work for any movie stars? Did you meet any? Yeah, I met a few. I met um Jet Lee. Oh yeah, yeah, the martial the movie, arts yeah. guy, yeah, yeah. I met uh, Anthony Anderson, he's a comedian. Um there's a few Enrique Iglesias, um Yeah. Robbie Williams. Did they ever have those PR guys that hang out, hang around yeah. them, and then and then the, if you get too familiarised with them or too friendly with them, they sort of cut you off. Did yeah, they, they they had the big entourage, but uh, probably the most famous person that I met was Prince. You know. Oh yeah, uh, that was uh, that Fantastic. was cool. Like I was looking after him at the Ace Arena when he had the when he had the uh, uh, concert here back in 2012. Yeah, what was he like, down to earth guy? Yeah, yeah, really nice guy. So I had to like walk him to and from the back room to the stage, and like next to him, you know, he come up to my chest. Yeah, and he was wearing a gold outfit and high heels. Yeah, and uh, when he sang all his old school songs, I was supposed to be like, looking after all the VIPs, you know, because it's just me. Mm. And I was dancing, you know, I was, I was really getting into it. it was really good. Yeah, because I, you know, I've heard that some of those celebrities, some of them are, are real wankers. I heard that the Leonardo DiCaprio is not a very, you can't even apparently look at him in the fucking eyes. I mean, what's all that fucking shit about? But I remember, um, I remember John Travolta. We were told when we were taking him up to the lift in the room, it was at Stanford, Stanford Plaza, and uh, in Double Bay, and they said, uh, they said, oh, don't get the general manager. 
Mr. Wolf at the time. He said, don't get too familiarised, you know. Just keep it very professional. And I couldn't help myself. I thought, fuck, he's just a human being just like me. So we're in, we're in the lift and we're going up at the service the lift to go straight up to his level. And um, I just broke out into a Robert De Niro. I looked at him and I've gone. I went, hey, John, you learn the two most important things. Never run on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. Ah, you hear what I said? Circle of trust. And I went like that, you know. And he's fucking cracked up laughing his head off. And so, and, and everyone else in the lift, except the PR guy that's supposed to sort of divert attention yeah. away if, um, if anyone gets too friendly with him. And he's looked at me and he's gone, you know what? What's your name? I said, Adrian. He goes, Adrian. He says, he goes, you do an Italian-American impression better than the Italian-Americans. And he gave me a big hug, big hug. He brought me real close to him. And after that, I won him over. And then from then on, I was staying at the, he was staying at the hotel and, um, yeah, we'd go for jogs in the morning new, on New South Head Road. And he even said to me, he goes, if you're ever in Hollywood, you can stay. And he said, my offside too, Bobby. He said, you can stay with me in um, my staff quarters. So I got really, really friendly. He was a good bloke. So, yeah, now they, they, they were good times. And back then, I remember it was a pretty good rate as a bodyguard. Were you getting a good rate for a bodyguard? Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't complain. I was getting looked after, but the money that I was getting paid, so I wasn't allowed to touch it because my boss said all the other expenses are not on you. Like we pay for everything, you know. So good. Yeah. yeah. So bot, bodyguard. What what did you prefer, bodyguard or bouncing? Um, I don't mind both, to be honest. Yeah. Bodyguard's good if you've got a family and that, and you because there's probably less risk. Wouldn't um, yeah, but. Some of the guys I was looking after, they were too high maintenance for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I wouldn't, like, weekdays I'll be working till 9pm. Yeah. So I couldn't do my own thing till after 9. By then I was too tired, you know, because you're just babysitting guys. But, yeah, I, I didn't mind either. Yeah, it's good. Well, I want you to take a sip of your drink, mate. You haven't, yeah, have, have that drink, champ. Now, we're going to digress away from the security topics, unless you want to talk about more security uh, Got, Anything I, else you want, you want to get off your chest? I've got, I've got a really good story. Yeah. It's probably one of the best in the security. Right, let us hear it. Right, so this, this kind of involves uh, a gym, three nightclubs, and a bikey clubhouse. This is over a five-year yeah. period. Yeah. So I'm training at the gym, and uh, all the boys there, we used to roll in at 6 o'clock. And there's one guy in that group. He was a real troublemaker, you know? Yeah. Always said, Ray, I'm going to come to the club. This one I was working at Cuba. Yeah. Come to the club, come to the club. and said, please... Don't come. Please don't. Anyway, I get to the club that night and he's upstairs starting a fight straight away. So I said, you got to go. So I, I let him, I walked him out the door discreetly because I knew I had to see him on Monday, you know, yeah. training. So come the Monday, I rang up my training partner and said, stay home. I'm training alone. And he goes, oh, what's up? I said, just stay home. We'll train Tuesday. So I get to the gym at six o'clock. Sure enough, he walks in yeah. on the phone, pointing at me, swearing at me. He goes, you're going to fucking cop it. You're dead. And he got on the phone. Five minutes later, these two cars pull up. Eight guys run through the front door, jump the turnstile, go straight to the dumbbell rack. They grab these dumbbells. They're trying to clobber me while I'm training. Fuck me. Yeah. And I said, listen, it's got nothing to do with you guys. It's between me and this guy. Yep. And then uh, I said, you know what? We can sort this out. I'll take you guys on one-on-one, one at a time, out the front. And mm. I pointed to one of the bigger guys, and he kind of folded a bit. But, like, I was bluffing, you know? I was, I was like, yeah. 
please, please say, please say no. And anyway, all the other gym goers got involved and they broke it up, and then that was that. And then um, what happened after that? Uh, a couple of years later, I was working at Hugo's, Hugo's Lounge. Yeah. And uh, it was Melbourne Cup, and these two big Tongan guys rocked up, mm. and they wouldn't take no for an answer. And uh, I took them downstairs. I said, well, let's sort this out. So as I've moved in, the guy's reached for a piece and he's shot two rounds at me. Just missed my head, you know? And then I've chased what, his... In the nightclub, he's pulled... No, it. outside down the bottom of the stairs at Hugo's. He fired off two rounds. Then I chased him through the back of Callis Street, you know? I, yeah, ch- yeah. I chased him for a fair way. And then I couldn't notice this guy was running alongside me and then I pulled up Chase. And there was one of the guys that tried to clob me in the gym years ago. I said, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, no, I found out you're a good bloke. All good, I got, I got your back, you know. I was like, thanks, man. And then two years after that, I was working at um, Sapphire Suite. You know Sapphire Suite? Yeah, across? yeah, yeah. So I was, I was bodyguarding the owner, Charlie, good bloke. So I get in there late, walk down the back, and I see these big guys sitting next to the DJ, DJ booth. I was like, who the fuck are these guys? And I find out they're big guys from interstate. I go downstairs, I see a guy covered in blood in the bathroom, you know. Mm. I come upstairs and I see these guys and I said, guys, please, you got to leave. I know what happened. And they were actually quite respectful. They got up and they left. Yeah. And then the following week, my brother calls me up and says, one of the boys is getting patched up at the clubhouse. I'm not going to name the clubhouse, but he goes, be there tonight. But I didn't tell my brother that, you know, I, I had a drama. So I rocked up to the clubhouse by myself and I saw the guy at the front gate, walked in, guys doing the barbecue, and the guys that were doing the barbecue were all the guys that tried to jump me in the gym. And then I looked down the other end and I see all those guys that I kicked out of the club. And I thought, man, these guys are going to flog me in the clubhouse. I'm not going to make it out alive. But then I told them, you know, who my brother was. Yeah. Told them who the guy was that was getting patched up. And we ended up having a really mad night, you know. Yeah. Good guys. So, so he's your older brother? Yeah, my older brother, yeah. yeah. He saved me heaps of times. But those guys ended up being really good guys, you know. Mm. So, yeah, I said sorry, but, yeah, we had a good night. Fuck, you're, fucking, you're lucky you're still alive. Oh, yeah, man. I'm <laughs> so, lucky, man. So, so true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, well, we've we've spoken about security now, I suppose, and bouncing. So we'll we'll digress now, and we'll talk about that famous kickboxing K one fight, which I've showed everyone that video. Everyone that's seen it, they all love it. Yeah, you know, they've it's you've probably got about a hundred views from every person that I've showed. They just they watch it, and I go, what? Exp-? And I, I I ask them, I say, I said, what, what do you think is going to happen in this? And, and and they go, oh, you know, they, they see you come out and they see the other guy come out. He looks like the uh, Lebanese Ivan Drago. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's it's not a um, – it's not what everyone expects. So apparently there's a bit of a story leading up to that fight and post-fight. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So what happened was um, probably I went three days – Three days without sleep leading up to the fight. I probably only had six hours sleep in three days. Mm. Now, you were, you were a late calling, weren't you, for that yeah. fight? Yeah. So what happened was uh, I was working back-to-back shifts for three days. I, I practically had no sleep. I was so tired, you know. Mm. And then two days out from the fight, I got a, a, a tattoo. My first tattoo was like a traditional Samoan tattoo with the pig's tooth, hammer, and ink. Yeah. And so my whole left arm was swollen, you know, from my bicep down to my wrist. You yep. see it in the fight. So... On the day of the fight, I got a, I got a phone call off a, a good mate of mine. He goes, oh, what are you doing tonight? Do you want to make 400 bucks? I said, doing what? And he goes, fighting. And I thought, you want, you want me to collect some money for you and get 400 bucks? And he goes, no, kickboxing. So, and that was your first fight? That was my first fight. My first and only fight in the ring, yeah. 
So um, fucking big impact. So so I said I'll call you back in a couple of hours and I'll I'll, I'll, leave, I'll give you an answer then. So I called him up two hours later and said, you know what, I'll do it. Give me the information. So he goes, is it the Star City Casino? Be there at six o'clock. Um, the guy that's supposed to fight this other bloke, he's just pulled out. You know, he's mm. he's he's scared. And uh, so I get to the casino. And I meet the promoter, Tarek Solak. Yeah. He used to run K1 Oceana. Yeah. And um, he says to me, you know, if you do well, I'll, I'll put you on my, on my cards, you know, in the future. So I get there and he introduced me to this um, trainer that I never met before, Darren. And then... Um, <laughs> so so your trainer is, you never met him no, before? No, I, I didn't know anyone. So it was just me and my, <laughs> me and my flatmate. I rang up my flatmate and said, come to the Star City Casino, you know. Oh, fuck. I'm having a fight and he's like, he's like are, are, you pulling, are you pulling my leg or are you for real? Yeah. I said, no, no, it's actually, yeah, I'm, I'm fighting. So he's come. They gave me these like ball, uh, these um, shorts, um, shin guards, gloves, whatever. And then the trainer comes in the, in the locker room and he goes, come out, you know, do some warm-ups. And I said, man, I, I don't need to warm-up. I need to sleep. I haven't slept for three days. <laughs> Wake me up 10 minutes before the fight, I'll be ready. And so I went to sleep. And as I was sleeping, my mate's gone for a walk. And he's come back and he's like, Grabbed me and he's shaking me and said, we got to get the fuck out of here, man. I've seen the guy you're fighting. He's a beast. I've seen, you know that scene from Kickboxer where Jean-Claude Van Damme goes to fix shots and yeah, he sees yeah. that big guy kicking that bloody <laughs> column and the, and the concrete's <laughs> falling from the ceiling? It was like that. He goes, he goes let's get the fuck out of here, man. I've seen that guy. He's going to kill you, man. He's like six foot four. He's roided up. He's a big bloke. He's hitting the pads real hard. Yeah. I was like, no, nah, be sweet, be sweet, you know? I said, because oh, I was used to fighting on the streets and like fighting up to six guys at one time, you know? I said, where's the case scenario? I get knocked out, fight's over. Hmm. And so anyway, they wake me up, I have a shower, go out, and I, I forgot to ask what the rules were, so I was, I was talking to the trainer as he's walking me out, I said, just tell me what I can't do. And he's like telling me in my ear, what, I can't do this, can't do that, and I said, I'll be all right. Yeah, then he come out, then yeah, rest is history, so I, I was lucky. I won the fight, got the money, got the trophy. And I had to go to work that night. Were you nervous when you were in the middle of the ring with him? No. You didn't, you, he was the one that looked all nervous and tense. Yeah, he, I think he um, exerted too much energy, you know, pre-fight. But I was just, I just woke up too, you know, so I was half asleep and I was pretty calm. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I, I knew, I'm not, it's not like I'm going to get knocked out and trampled all over like I have in the past. I, I was right, I was safe, it was a safe environment. So, um, yeah, I went in there, I was, I was confident, I, um, I won. And then um, I remember after the fight, I had to con- I consoled him, you know, because I-, I felt bad for him. Because mm. they were building this guy up to be the next big thing, you know, like give him a few easy fights, you know, build up his record and mm. then be someone. But yeah, I, I kind of ruined Did he fight again after that? I think he had maybe two more fights after that. Yeah. But, um, Fuck, he'd never be the same. He caught nah. one right on the fucking Vera Lynn and he was, he yeah. was all over the place. I just closed my eyes and prayed for the best, you know. But uh, yeah, so after the fight... I was walking back to the locker room and like all these people were, like wanting photos and autographs and it was really unusual for me. Mm. So I was like, you know, taking photos and then <clears throat> I went to work and all the boys were waiting for me, all the guys on the door because we were working at Tank Nightclub, you know. Mm. And when I walked down the lane with the trophy, I like had a raise in, in the air, you know, and all the boys like we won a grand final or something, you know, all the boys yeah. were all embraced and hugged and it was good. And then um, not long after that, I was just standing in the laneway and I got run over by a car in the laneway. Mm. And um, I got taken to the hospital... I mean, when they wheeled me out of the nightclub, I was on the hospital bed going to the ambulance and I was raising the trophy like that and everyone was laughing, you know, it was a crack up. And I went to the RPA hospital 
And I, I just didn't want to be there. I just discharged myself. Yeah. And I got my mate to pick me up. And I went home, had a shower, and I went straight to the gym. I did squats. And then, yeah, that was it. Yeah. It was funny. Did, did that Solak bloke ever give you any more fights? Or you just weren't interested after that? No, so I was supposed to lose that fight. So he, yeah. lost, he lost a lot of money, you know. Yeah. So he was trying to call the guy that contacted me to recoup some of the money. Mm. So um, the guy, my mate that called me through his phone in the harbour and he had to move residence, you know. Yeah. But I did catch up with Tarek probably two years after the fight. I was mm. working on the door at Rogues. Yeah. And he came up with the boys from Melbourne. And I looked at him, he looked at me and we just shook hands, you know. Mm. But, he, but did you ever did you ever want to box again or... Uh, going, look, going yeah. to the boxing part of it, I know that was kickboxing yeah. and all that. You probably, you would have been a really good professional boxer. Yeah, so what happened um, that night that I was fighting, like I knew nothing about kickboxing, you know? Yeah. But I met a, a few people there, like Peter Graham, the chief. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he, yeah. he's the man, you yeah. know? And then you had uh, a guy named Mike Zambides. He was like my favourite. Like I mm. started following him as a welterweight. And then you had like the McKinnon brothers, all the boys, Jason Suddy. All the boys. So I met Peter Graham that night and he said, come to Redfern, come train with me and Alex Tui, a uh, famous trainer. Yeah, that's that's Mundine's gym. Yeah. So Tony I went there. Seen it, yeah. yeah, so I was training at the gym and, and then, uh, yeah, Chief would say, yeah, come come every day, you know. And then it just wasn't me because yeah. it was kind of, um, it was... Um, but what about as a boxer, but not, 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 a, not a K-1? No, no. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I, I know it's hard to be a boxer if you've you, normally amateur boxers start when they're young like my my, my yeah. oldest son started when he was only 13 or 14 but you would have been perfect for professional straight in there no, you I, know cop one give one and if you land you knock them out and you, you know you probably would have built up a pretty good record and yet you had a puncher's chance of winning winning any title um, yeah well they said that my style was kind of similar to Mark Hunt. You know Mark Hunt? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think uh, the month after that, he won the world title, you know, the mm. K1 world title. And uh, I ended up um, doing a little bit of work with him here and there. I was driving out to Liverpool, you know, just yeah. do some work. And it was, yeah, that was pretty sick. But um, no, I, I couldn't devote myself to training. Like I was mm. 28 years old. I wasn't going to start taking up the sport at 28, you know, if I was like 15, 14, well, here's Maybe. a question for you. What, what, just say if I was a promoter, or just say if I went to a promoter now, and I said, right, I'm going to line you, line you up against Paul Gallen. Would you jump in at the age of, what, 48? No, no, I, I, I retire with a 100% record number. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Paul's a legend. <laughs> Paul, yeah, he's, a, he's, uh, he's got a lot of, mate, he's got a lot of, lot of ticker for a footy player. He can do he, anything, he, that yeah. guy. Oh, mate, I saw him in Cronulla last week. He's got a head like Barney Rubble. He can He's got do a head that, that doesn't doesn't look like he can hurt him. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's so oh, that's interesting. I mean, for forty eight, you still look in pretty good shape. Now, have another sip, mate. There's that. We're gonna we're gonna finish these drinks in the part. My past podcast. Pour a drink. No one's been drinking. Finished. Yeah, beautiful drink. Mm. Now, finally, I'm gonna finish all my episodes up with this same question. You probably heard it before from the previous podcast. There was one thing you'd like to change about yourself, Ray. Now think about it, right? One thing. Your divine power. What would it be? Probably um, the fear of rejection, you know. That was my biggest fear growing up. So if I was confident 20 years ago, I would have asked my wife to marry me then. Yeah. As opposed to now. Because my wife, you know, she's changed me in a lot of ways. Like she's shown me a different way. Mm. And she's always encouraged me to, to become better 
So if I if I married her 20 years ago, I reckon I would have had a lot more today than I would have back then. I just had no direction, and she's really good like that. Mm. So just that fear of rejection. I, I should have asked her out 20 years ago. Mm. And I, you would have had you would have pretty. I mean, Samoans are, are very, they're very close. They're like with the Italians, I suppose, because your wife's got Italian heritage. They're big on family yeah, uh, really orientation big. and big meals and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So you know, it would have. You would have been used to all that. Yeah, but um, oh, yeah, that that's my biggest. Uh, the one thing I'd like to change was uh, I wish I wasn't scared back then. I, I wasn't scared of many blokes, but I was just scared when it came to relationships and yeah, scared to ask. You know, so it's yeah, probably that. And you got those those two, two children of yours. How yeah. how cute are they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Samoa mixed with with Italian, eh? Yeah, I I got two two sons, Samson and Solomon, so they're eight and six. Yeah, but um, I, I got them training. Uh, four nights a week, jiu-jitsu. Yeah. In DIY, they've got a really good coach, Gigante. Yeah. He's, he's the man. So, um, yeah, uh, they just love training, you know. They really embrace it. And they're, and they're playing uh, rugby league, so they're first year playing rugby league. So they're going to have good fun, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's the best part of being a dad. You know, you, you look forward to the weekends, watching their weekend sport. And no matter how shit the week is yeah. leading up to it, you can't wait for the weekend. Everything brightens up. Yeah, so man. that's good, mate. You know, and as I said, I, I, I haven't seen you for so long and um, you still look like you're in great shape and you'd have to, you'd have to go down as one of the, one of the better, if not one of the best security bouncers we've had in Sydney, I'd say. From speaking to a lot of people, a lot of people have, you know. Um, yeah. I, I'd say I'll I know, I know you're modest, but there's a lot yeah. of people that have told me, they said, this guy's, you know, He's the cream of the crop. I reckon I was probably the luckiest. The luckiest? I've, I've worked with... Oh, certainly. Yeah, you haven't been... Yeah. I can't believe you've no. never got charged working on doors, the doors no, that you work. I've worked with a lot of really, really good doormen, you know, and yeah. I just picked, you know, little bits and pieces from what all these guys did, and then I just kind of made it my own. But, yeah. like, yeah, if it weren't for the guys that I worked with over the 14 years that I was in the industry, yeah, yeah, I just got... I gotta thank those guys, you know. Mm. If it went for them, they showed me the way, and I was lucky. Good on you, Ray. So, as I finish all my podcasts with, if he can change, and I can change, and you can change, it means we can all change. So, until my next podcast, and remember this: please don't forget, always treat people as you'd like to be treated yourself. Never take any shit from anybody. See you next podcast, guys and girls. <laughs>